Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to Swedes 2 Turnips 1. This is the podcast where the team from Sun Football tell all the stories they previously kept within the confines of the press box. We'll hear how the stories happen and what happens to the ones too hot to print. From gossip and tip-offs to world-exclusive interviews, we will cover it all. I'm Rashmin Chowdhury and joining me in the studio today, we have the Sun's head of sport, Sean Custis, alongside Dave Kidd and Andrew Dillon. Now, for every show, we start with a quick fire question to get things rolling. And you've got to answer the first thing that comes into your head. So first up, funniest mascot, Sean Custis. It always used to make me laugh when Arsene Wenger arrived at the Emirates and he would walk through the front door and he would shake hands with the doorman, he would shake hands with people giving out the tickets and he would shake hands with Gunasaurus. And his expression didn't change. His expression was exactly the same, whether he was shaking hands with the doorman or Gunasaurus. It just always used to make me laugh. But the one who annoyed me most was Harry the Hornet. Harry the Hornet does get on a lot of people's nerves at Watford sometimes. So Newcastle were playing Watford in the cup. Ayosi Perez went through and it was a great opportunity. And he sliced it wide. And Harry the Hornet has got a very big square shoe. And Harry was doubled up in laughter, bent over, double, pointing at his shoe, laughing, laugh, laughing. And Perez gave him such a look. And then the Newcastle fans were chanting, F off Hornet, F off Hornet. And then every time Ayosa Perez got the ball, the Hornet would be pointing at his boot, pointing his boot, <laughs> pointing at his boot. It worked, though. He psyched us out. Watford won their well, cup tie. wound them up, didn't he? Certainly did. Yeah. Well, it's not easy to beat Newcastle, is it? it no, never easy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get personal. It's too early. <laughs> Uh, Dave, funniest mascots? Funniest and most alarming mascot was in the ni- 1990s at Roots Hall, South End. Um, Sammy the Shrimp, they're called the Shrimpers. Um, and he looked like an enormous walking penis uh, in, in a blue South End shirt. <laughs> they've, they've re- Sammy the Shrimp still exists and they've redesigned him in a slightly more sort of... <laughs> Gender uh, neutral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, sort of, he's got a more pointy, a more pointy head that looks slightly more shellfish-like and slightly less right. phallus-like now. Anyway. How lovely. Mine has to be Cyril de Swan. Years ago, I reckon 15, 20 years ago now, Swansea's mascot, Cyril, got, I think he got into a fight, didn't he, Dave? I think yep. he was fighting on the pitch. And so he rose to national acclaim over it. National, it was a national scandal. I got sent down in those days with enormous budgets and everything. We managed to get Cyril out of Swansea in his costume, but we also went to a fancy dress shop and hired a prisoner's convict <laughs> outfit, which we managed to put around this giant swan with an arrowed suit and a you hat. You went to all that effort? Oh, absolutely we did, yeah. And then we found uh, an old industrial estate with um, a railing gate and we positioned him behind the railing gate with his hands on the bars, <laughs> looking every inch the incarcerated swan. Massive picture. We launched a national campaign to free Cyril the Swan and whatever. I love and, it. Uh, yeah, it was terrific fun. Absolutely terrific fun. <laughs> okay, well, today we're talking about big characters in football, of which there are many. I kind of feel that um, social media allows everyone to actually have a personality or even show that they have a personality. But before the advent of social media, there are some people that actually were just very, very funny. Who would you say had the... Or made you laugh the most, Sean? 
I've got to be honest, Gazza, when he was a youngster, <laughs> uh, was a, an infectious character. I worked on Newcastle Evening Chronicle and Journal at the time he was coming through. And he would come into the office, he would jump up and down on chairs and tables, and he would hand you sweets out of a sock. I mean, it'd be, He's uh, just a big kid. People thought it was a bit of a myth that he handed out sweets <laughs> out of socks. He used to... He did. He had a sock. Out he of had socks? Some, like jelly, jelly beans or whatever. He'd have them in a football sock. Oh, God, he was were they loved, clean? Were they clean? I think they were, did actually, people from them? memory. Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> he quite enjoyed being there in the Chronicle office, talking to people, finding out what was the stories of the day. He, he liked being in the pit. He was 17, mm. 18 at the time. He enjoyed... The whole thing, the buzz around him, the buzz around Newcastle United. It was the time when I like to remember him best because of his infectious enthusiasm mm. for football. I mean, he remains a big character to this day, not, of course, always for the right reasons, but there are time, many times when I've come across where you cannot deny what an infectious, entertaining character. Of course, there's times when that can wear you down, I suppose. If you kick, I know certainly in certain England squads, there were certain players who found it a little bit of a pain when Gaza was running around, cracking jokes, playing pranks and all of that. You can do it a few times, eventually it can get too much. But I would say there are certainly good memories of Gaza, uh, obviously as a player, but also as a character, certainly for Newcastle United fans and sadly for Newcastle fans, it was too short a period of time when he mm. played there. Of course, he was only discovered to be a great player once he moved to Spurs because everybody suddenly <laughs> obviously, decided, oh, obviously. he's a good player, this fellow from up north. <laughs> was he always just crazy whenever you saw him or were there times no. when you... I mean, he lived... He when lived, he was a bit He lived near me mellow. in uh, Hertfordshire. Uh, he'd got to go back 10, 15 years when he was back with his wife, Cheryl. Uh, when he was... Uh, going through a calmer period in his life when you would see the family cycling a- along the canal. I went to do an interview with him about how life was much calmer now and much happier. <laughs> Cheryl made us cups of tea, sat chatting. The moment she went back in the house, he went round the corner. You got any cigarettes? As it happened, I did uh, <laughs> at the time. Have a cigarette. Oh, he says, he says I can't stand this. He says, uh, sort of sitting around all day. I've got to get out. I've got to get out. And you saw them again the other side of him, that actually it wasn't in his nature really to sit and relax. He had to be on the move. He had to be doing things. It was almost compulsory that he he needed to be active and, and, and bouncing. And, and actually, it was there I really realised that the quiet life just didn't suit him yeah. at all. Interesting. Dave, who's the sort of the biggest, weirdest, funniest character you've worked with in um, football? And I'm sure there are a few. There are plenty, yeah. Um I was going to mention uh, Neil Warnock, who I think is a slightly misunderstood character at times. He, he's, um, uh, you know, very much an old school yeah. manager and, and gets a very bad press. Uh, quite frankly, some of his antics on the touchline towards referees are, are pretty, are pretty uh, abhorrent. But he, he has got a different side to him. He, he, he can be very kind and most people are more complex than they're made out, than the caricature is made out. But the first time I ever met him was a bizarre story. What I was sent to cover Preston against Sheffield United and um, Sheffield United were decked out in the most ridiculous kit I'd ever seen. It was like a golden lame with lilac stripes. I'd never seen anything quite so ridiculous. And I asked Warnock, he was doing a little briefing outside Deepdale uh, for the Monday papers as a Saturday match, and uh, I asked him about the kit. And he didn't give me much of an answer on the record, and then it, uh, when, once the little briefing finished, I'd never met him before, he, he sort of pretty much whispered conspiratorially to me, would you mind putting something in the paper that a source close to the manager 
says, how can my boys go out and try and play like men? They've been beaten 3-0, but yeah. how can they go out and play like men when they're dressed in like, like they're dressed? And I won't use the exact wording he used. This story went in the paper and, and, and it got good traction. And then the sponsors who, who latched onto this decided they wanted to use the sun to give away uh, 100 um replica shirts of the campus kit in football as it was known it was just on the back page and it became a really quite a big running thing i think i'm pretty it would sure happen today would it i'm pretty no i'm pretty sure they scrapped the kit before the end of the season because the players you know were, were pretty up in arms about it well we had the thing do you remember the thing with paul bracewell yes. years ago when he was manager of fulham and was it you that wrote yeah. you wrote the story and called him dower didn't you yeah i was banned mm. from fulham he was manager of fulham really? for one season and um i called him dower which and I was banned from Craven Cottage, which is a bit like, you know, <laughs> being banned from the Vatican calling the Pope Catholic. Paul Bracewell was dour, <laughs> and there's no doubt about that. And I don't think there was any side to him away from that. He was a dour man. So um, dour we were, that he had to make a stand. Yeah, I think yeah, we were banned, and, and there must have been... Our, our sports editor must not have had too many ideas about how to illustrate pictures of this, because like Cyril the Swan, I had to stand outside the gates of Craven Cottage clutching the um, iron bars as if I was in jail. I'd been... <laughs> it's a similar running team. <laughs> the sports editor um, then decided to have a campaign, quite a subtle campaign against Bracewell, that every time Bracewell was quoted in the paper, we had to make him sound like... Um, he was the funniest man rather than the dourest man in football. So there were there were like. Is this to get uh, back on side? So you had no, to. It was, no, it was done so sarcastically. Oh, I see. So right, okay. Brace, I think Fulham had a, Fulham had a run <laughs> of four consecutive nil nil draws, which I think equaled the all time record <laughs> uh, during Bracewell's reign. And during that time, we quoted. Football's laughing cavalier, Paul Bracewell, <laughs> chuckled, open quotes, we defended stoutly and we ground out a result. I, I, distinctly, it. Became, I distinctly remember one which was a dower was typically cock-a-hoot. For about a month or so, we just took the pee so relentlessly that they that they ended up saying, OK, come back in, we're fed up with yeah. this. So, and what was your relationship with him after that? He got sacked soon after. I'd oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Andy, you've been a, you're, well, being a West Ham fan, I should say. Can mm. I say that? Oh, I've had previous yeah. hammers. Oh, you must have had fun some with great West ones. Ham over the years because for many years they were so open to the press, mm-hmm. particularly when Harry Redknapp was manager. You could just stroll in, and he would see, and he'd see, and he'd go, "All right, Ann, all right, go and eat, have a cup of tea, <laughs> have something to eat. Wait, players will be out." So, and you, you would, just like that you would just sit there, and these days, you know, it was before the days of before team so press officers yeah. and. You know, social media people. You got you had that relationship. I, you know, I distinctly remember being. He, had, he used to conduct the press conferences in his tiny little office. I think it was me and one other reporters there. And Harry got started getting changed after training, and the tracksuit bottoms came off, the underpants came you off. We, saw yeah, the underpants? yeah, we saw we saw what only Sandra sees that day. <laughs> A wire fronts, boxes, thongs. What did we see? What did we see? I'm a gentleman, and I was, you know, in the in those days, we made our excuses and left, but I made my excuses and looked away. But um, (laughs) didn't get a peek. I didn't. I wasn't (laughs) really looking very closely. (laughs) No, but it was just done so casually, you know. But he was great. I ghost wrote his column for I reckon thirteen, fourteen years, which particularly sticks into mind because when he was in court on tax evasion mm. charges for which he was acquitted, he actually said he he was rubbish at administration and said, I can't write to save my life. Which, <laughs> given that all my words were going into... <laughs> didn't make Oops. me feel like a million dollars, I can assure you. Um, <laughs> they used that as evidence, your colleagues, didn't they? Yeah. To, to back up yeah. his claim that he couldn't yeah. write. Yeah. And he, he was great because 
one time he even rang me and said, um, "Can't you?" Do, he said, "Sandra's moaning about my picture byline. Can't you do something about it for me? Can't you make me look like Robert Redford?" <laughs> so <laughs> the following week, we actually put a picture of Robert Redford in the paper, just a little caption saying, "This is Excellent. for you, Sandra." Yeah, he's one of those great people for. You know, He's such good value for money, isn't he? You know, instant recall on a thousand yeah. great escapator stories. And weight would go all day here. But, you know, some of them that stick in the mind were the funny ones, like the time he he went to the wrong funeral. And he tells it in such blunt terms, because he's from the East End, it was like, he, he was saying... You know, there was, a, there was a couple of brothers. They owned a steakhouse opposite Upton Park. A couple of brothers. We used to go in there on a Saturday after the games. One of them died. So I went to the crematorium to pay my respects. Well, at Manor Park, East London Crematorium, City London Crematorium. Fella sees me on the door. Oh, Harry, you're over there, number one, crematorium number one. I, said, I saw all the claret and blue, everything. Drove over there, pulled up, started to join the congregation. And then suddenly was looking around for some of the other people you know he was manager at the time you know so he's looking around for frank lampard his assistant yeah, whatever yeah. couldn't recognize any of them and then some fellas came over to him and just said harry we can't believe you've turned up today he said, dave was such an ammo he said he would he'd have been so touched that you'd have been here because it just by pure coincidence turned out a west ham fan had died claret and blue flowers we've got dave r.i.p hammers claret and blue Brilliant. hammers floral hammers tributes that sort of thing harry's realized he's joined the wrong <laughs> the wrong group and he said he got out of it by as they started to file into the to the ceremony and the service he just sort of dropped to his knees and attempted to do up his shoelace and let everybody sort of file in and then he kind of backtracked went back to the gate and found found the well, real he was funeral. supposed to go yeah <laughs> but he also had touching stories like he telling me how his dad took him to buy his first overcoat in poplar and you know what a, what a great moment it was and um it was a real real thing because he didn't have a great deal of money and they went to the you know the the tailors in those days and had you fit in and went back two weeks later but in july sometimes the office would say look we're a bit short let's get harry on this and if he was on holiday one ring all right what's going on what's going on <laughs> he said what are you up to harry oh, i'm That's sitting fantastic. around the pool I'm having, I'm having a coffee with sandra and he said i'm in this he said i'm in this hotel and he said there's only five other guesses yen's layman Checked out an Alan Carr. He said they're the only other guests. And Alan Carr's gone off on a moped today. He said, so I'm bored round the pool. What do you want to know? And we would we would talk and talk. So half the time the the column was done in the space of thirty seconds. Yeah. And he's proper old school. Didn't want copy approval. Happy to trust you. Left yeah. it in your hands. And you, you you know hopefully did a good job on it. <laughs> I wasn't Harry's mate like Andy was. My story about him that I always remember is that I'd written a transfer. He was manager of Portsmouth, and I'd written a story from a contact that um, he wanted to sign Marcel Desailly, who I think just leaving Chelsea. He was about thirty six, an old guy. Portsmouth was stocked up with a lot of old players and mm. a lot of money. And the story was that he wanted to get Marcel Desailly to Portsmouth. And that Milan Mandarich, the Portsmouth chairman, said, no, we've got too many old blokes on big money when you're not having him. And he was annoyed about it. When it went in the sun, and I think he still had the column, which Andy used to do, he, he rang me up irate, screaming down the phone at me, we're supposed to be on the same side, what have you done this for? Where'd you, they, as, as they always say when the yeah. story's right, where'd you get that from? Who told you that? Yeah, you know, yeah. like, but you're telling me it's not true, Harry, why'd you care where it came from? Anyway, <laughs> uh, that, so it died down, and about a fortnight later, 
Portsmouth got beat at Norwich, the defence was poor, and in the briefing for the Monday journalist, I wasn't actually there, I was told about it by several people, he said, look, yeah, but what am I supposed to do? My defence is rubbish. He says, I tried to get Marcel Desailly in two weeks ago, <laughs> but the chairman wouldn't let me have him. What are you going to do? <laughs> and that was on the record. I remember being in um, a casino, it's called Les Ambassadeurs, bottom um, partly, and, and we I can't quite remember why why we'd gone in there. It wasn't actually to gamble, but we <laughs> we'd gone in there for a drink or something. And uh, as we went in, we saw Harry Redknapp sat outside on the terrace. And outside on the terrace, the uh, screens are up. You can watch the racing all day at this casino. And Harry's just sitting there. I mean, sitting there watching the racing. It's about five o'clock in the afternoon. And bearing in mind he lives in Poole in Dorset. It's like a three-hour drive. You'd think you'd be getting on the road, you know? And no, just sitting there. Sees myself and... Uh, like called Andy Dunn from the Mirror. So we sit down. He says, "Sit down, lads, have a chat." It's not right. Think you don't want to go home. <laughs> Five o'clock. Yeah, we sat down. Great story after story yeah. after story. What you? And we're saying, so what are you doing here, Harry? Oh, just having a sit, just watching the race. <laughs> Got about half past six. We're still there. Story on story on story. Great. Seven o'clock. Smash it. Now I love. Listening to stories, but I'm thinking, we've been here two hours. What, what's going on? At Did that you write point, down? at that point, <laughs> in comes Avram Grant, and Harry goes, Avram, what are you doing here? At that very same point, Avram says, Sorry, I'm late, Harry. <laughs> and it turned out and at that time Avram was recruiting for Roman Abramovich oh, for the next Chelsea manager oh, I can't believe I've seen you here Avram here, let's, okay we'll just leave you there Harry really would forward. you really love you Avram and Eva love a dog the fancy, fancy yeah. that Avram cool, this ain't half a shot no mistake how funny yeah. He's actually sort of exploded into the stratosphere after being in the jungle, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. When and I, even he I still can't keep in touch that. with him. Mm. And if the phone goes and it says, Harry, my kids, my daughter actually filmed me, sorry, on the phone to him to say, I'm going to show my mates that's my dad on the phone to Harry Redknapp. That's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it? I spoke to him not long ago. Um, I was asking him to do something about West Ham's, the 20th anniversary, I think it was, since West Ham won the Inter 2 Bob Cup, as we used to call it. Um <laughs> And he said to me, he said, I can't do it now, And He said, I'm just off filming. I'm going to go sword fighting with Razor Ruddock at Corfe Castle. <laughs> <laughs> he said, but I can sure talk to you are. later. No problem, no problem. But he was, uh, you know, he, he, you could tear your hair out dealing with him, trying to get hold of him sometimes. Too many columnists now aren't willing to trust the journalist that yeah. writes the... And so too many people making too much money in the middle want to see it, they want the pictures, they yeah. want the, the headlines. Harry, and you did Jimmy Greaves for a long time, Dave, as well, yeah. didn't you? And these guys, you know, they trusted you and you had that relationship yeah. where they could ring up, talk to you for 30 seconds, leave you, you could write 800 words on a 30-second mm -hmm. conversation and they were more than happy with Old it. Old school mentality, isn't it? Yeah, it's... yeah, and it's sadly missed, unfortunately. Yeah. Who did I see the other day? Someone was telling me that he, even he is staggered by how famous he is now. And he says he gets recognised everywhere. And mm. everywhere he goes, people ask him about jam roly-polies. Mm. <laughs> crazy. Anyway, very worthy king of the jungle. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So those are the fun ones. What about the, I don't want to use the word weirdos, but I'm sure there are more serious characters because Harry is, I mean, he has that serious side, but he's so much fun and so much fun. Yeah, yeah, there but was, if you got on the wrong but, side, he, I, I had a couple, I mean, you know, over a rating for Trevor Sinclair. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, it was, yeah. One, a what night you, game. We had you... to file the ratings on an hour. So Trevor Sinclair was, I'd obviously had a stinker for an hour. And then last half hour had improved. Harry would always say, oh, I don't even read the papers. Like, oh, bleeding rubbish. They blah, blah, blah. Read and then the I got a phone call, why did you give Trevor Sinclair yeah. six? F this, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's always the morning, Harry. Get you in trouble, isn't it, to be fair? I, I remember, I won't mention his name, but it was a, a former Premier League, well, title winner, from, probably from before the Premier League. He just rang up, he got a four playing for Sheffield Wednesday towards the end of his career, and he was just absolutely livid about it. And yeah. it always seems, I mean, that's the, that's the one thing they yeah. do read, is, yeah. is the marks out of ten. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, if you get that, the ultimate judgment you, call, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Mm. And mm. well, I'm not sure if we'd all want to be rated out of 10 on our job on a daily basis. So, you know. <laughs> I used to find Howard Wilkinson pretty weird, I've got to be honest. Mm. Um, really? When he, was, uh, when he was Leeds United manager and, of course, won the, won the title, I tried to work on him a little bit about getting an interview. So he said, Yep, all right, come down. And at that time, uh, Leeds would train at Elland Road. I mean, the film The Damned United shows their training mm. ground was just outside there. and everything. So everything went on down there. And as I arrived, there was this bloke sat on a desk outside Howard Wilkinson's office, swinging his feet, uh, staring at the space, looked at me, I looked at him, and I realised it was Eric Cantona <laughs> sat outside his door. Oh, the legend. And I'm like, this is my time to um, interview Howard Wilkinson. So... I knocked, I knocked on the door. I, this is how it was, like Andy was referring at West Ham. I'm in Elland Road, and I've walked down the corridor, and I've just knocked on the door. Come in. Uh, I come in. Oh, it's not him then, it's you. That's all right, you come in. And uh, <laughs> he says, all right then, get on with it. What do you want to know? And at that point, he walked into a cubicle and started having a wee. Hey? And I'm like, uh, well, I, oh, go on, come on, hurry up. What do you want to know? So we carried on. This interview has a week. Did you have Did, a dictaphone? Does beg your pardon? Zips up his uh, trousers, comes back out. We continue this interview, and I've gone. Look, Eric Cantona's out there. You can see him. I'll come back. No, no, leave him out there. Just leave him. Forty-five Ooh. minute interview. Ooh. At the end, thanks very much. And out I went. He says, "Tell him to come in." So <laughs> as a quote, so of course, you go in, and he just raised his eyes to the, to the sky. So I'll never forget it. Raised his eyes to the sky. Walked in to see Howard Wilkinson. Just as I was walking in the corridor, I heard a really loud sort of Howard Wilkinson type yeah. s- screech. I never got to know what it was all about yeah. or anything. But a week later, he went to Man United. Eric Cantona. <laughs> I've, I, and I've always thought. It was because Howard wanted him out mm. rather than Manchester United wanted him in. He, right. I don't think he could, yeah, yeah. He could cope 
with somebody like Cantona. Uh, he found him a difficult character. He, he'd done well for Leeds, mm. Cantona, but never quite got the best out of him the way Alex Ferguson did. And I, I, that, I'm thinking, I was on the verge of a great story yes, there somewhere, completely. but didn't get it. It's um, difficult. I was going to tell a story about, I mentioned earlier about people that you get the wrong impression of from the TV. One of those for me, and other people will, will, will swear by him and tell me he's the greatest bloke in the world, was Kevin Keegan. And Kevin Keegan, I think he was the first particularly famous person ever to yell down the phone at me. And he was certainly the first person to try and get me sacked from The Sun because I hadn't even got a job at The Sun as such then. Um, oh God. I'd, he'd gone to Fulham and... He wanted to get you sacked before you were even employed. Well, he, he, didn't, he thought oh. I was already employed there. I was, I was, <laughs> I was, here, I was here as like a freelance uh, sub-editor, so mm. you the headline writing and editing. And I used to go out and do a game on a Saturday. Um, so I was pretty young uh, in my early 20s. And uh, Fulham had been taken over by Mohamed Al-Fayed. They were still in the third division, the third flight. I just went along and wrote a piece. I don't think he even mentioned Keegan by name and because uh, Keegan was director of football at that point at Fulham. And uh, it was just a piece. Started taking the mick out of the fact they had an ABBA tribute band and they were on the pitch and, and it all gone a bit different for a third division club. It was just a what you call a colour piece and it was like a bit of light humour. And about a week later, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm just a sub-editor then. I, didn't, I wasn't dealing as a reporter um, on a full-time basis like now when you're a bit more used to speaking to well-known people. And this, I think this maybe the day before I had even had a mobile phone so on my landline at work. I get this shouty voice that sounds far too much like Kevin Keegan, as far as I'm concerned, to actually be Kevin Keegan. Because <laughs> he sounds exactly like he sounds in the I'd Love It rant, yeah. which is only two or three years earlier at Newcastle. And he's yelling down the phone and, I'm, and I said, and, I, and I, I thought it was one of my mates, and I said, stop taking the pee. Uh -oh. And then I realised it actually was Kevin Keegan because he got even more angry when I didn't believe it was Kevin Keegan. <laughs> and... Then he was actually, he had a column at the Sun at the time and he, and he went on to my sports editor. I hadn't even written anything about Kevin Keegan. Mm. It was the most innocent piece in the world, really. And he, he went on to the sports editor and said, I want this Dave Kidd sacked. And he said, I can't sack him because he hasn't even got a job. Other people swear by Kevin Keegan, but that was my experience. You'd like to swear at Kevin Yeah, Keegan. indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure both uh, these chaps would agree it's really... With, you know, with the number of years we've all been in the business, it's really surprising what irks some people. Mm. It's the oddest stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you could you could write they could write a two page spread absolutely slaughtering Kevin Keegan. You wouldn't mm. hear a word about it. Yeah. And then he'll mention that the tea's cold or something at Craven yeah. Cottage, and yeah. you'll you'll just get Kevin Keegan. It's very very strange <laughs> what and you then you you because you're natural cynical mind thinking why has he got the ump over that? Yeah, why is he, what have I done? Yeah, what was it? Actually? Or what's in yeah. it for him that he didn't want to yeah. see that written that mm. sort of thing, but. I mean, I've been lucky. I've not had too many things like that. But especially in my younger days, I was quite feisty. And I used to take a lot of stuff. You know, if somebody mm. tried to have a pop at us, would, um, I'd have a go back regardless. Of it. I learned from some real old school journalists. We had one here, Pat Sheehan, who was brilliant, quite a tough character, and a guy called Tony Stenson as well, who taught me how to not put sports people on pedestals. Mm, which uh, is I, very important. Yeah, very important. Do, yeah, because it? now, yeah. when I cover the golf now, mm. I go to the Open every year, and the champion walks in, and all the journalists stand up and applaud, and oh, at Wimbledon God. they applaud them. Yeah. And that, as much as you're happy for them, it's not your job to applaud them and be a fan. And ultimately and you, they're just a person doing their job, Exactly. You'll see mix zones now in football. You'll, see, you'll have journalists, accredited journalists, having selfies with mm. footballers. Mm. And I just think that really degrades our business. And wearing the club top. 
And we're in a Sometimes, club top. If you're in Barcelona, for instance, they will be yeah, wearing the... Yeah, really? Yeah, in the mix yeah, zone? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. it's only Barcelona and most of, most of the big European clubs, it, they are. They really are cheerleaders. Mm. Yeah. They are They are. Fans they are no, that's very and, true. And, Having yeah. worked in Spain, I can yeah, tell you that yeah, that is very true. And yeah. that, that's, you know... Because the journal... I mean, the papers have direct affiliation course, with one yeah. club mm. or another yeah. and they mm. and they yeah, are the sure. cheer, they're the yeah. mouthpiece for the club mm. basically yeah. in, a, in mm. a different way but I wasn't going to uh, I wasn't going to mention him by name but it's Thierry Henry I really yeah. wasn't going to tell you who he was but <laughs> well, he go was, on then uh, when he first arrived in in England he was very picky about a lot of stuff so as I we was saying earlier about the bizarre things that annoy them I remember my colleague Mark Irwin wrote a story about Dennis Bergkamp and Thierry Henry have got this kind of ESP relationship, a sixth sense mm-hmm. that helps him score goals. He rang Mark Irwin to insist he doesn't have extra sensory. <laughs> 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 Absolutely right. Mark, There's something Mark lost in translation up. here. <laughs> no, maybe he, he didn't get up, it. He maybe he, maybe he thought it was a disease. Made him, no, he pointed it pointedly down the phone. I do not have extra. And Mark's just. <laughs> All right, fair enough. It's not, you know. <laughs> it's not really a criticism. It's just no. saying that you two work well together. Yeah, exactly. How bizarre. Exactly. But then I was at the old Highbury one night game, uh, and Highbury, the kind of mix zone as it was then, it was a, the tiny little stairs I used to come down, and we used to just stand on the right-hand side. Henri walks past me, and I just, you know, you cast your net as each mm. one goes past, and I just send each chance of a couple of minutes, Jerry, please, for the sun. And he just said, oh, just make it up like you normally do. Well, that I just flipped. And I said... Do what? And he said, make it up like you normally do. I said, all right, Henri, I'm quitting Arsenal. And he turned on his heels and he said, what? What do you mean? I said, well, you told me to make it up. That's the story I'm writing tomorrow, mate. If you said I've got license to write what I like, that's what I'm going to write. No, you can't write that. That's not true. So then I just steamed into him and said, you've never met me before. I've never met you. How dare you stand there and say I make stuff up, blah, 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 blah. And it ended up fairly amicable. We were with Lewis Figo, who's a really good lad, actually. Yeah. I had to do a sort of sit down with him, like through Nike or something like that. That was which era are we good, talking? Was this it? was oh in the nineties, certainly Galactico sort yeah. of era. He was over doing something in London for Nike or Adidas or something, and uh, I did. I spent a good half an hour chatting to him. He speaks perfect English. He's very mm, good talker. Yes, did yeah. the piece, went in the paper. About six nine months later, I'm in Madrid in a sort of mixed zone type area, trying to have a word with someone. I think, I'm saying to a couple of other English journalists, Figo should speak it's really good English. And, and I just stick my dick to the phone. Lewis, uh, quick word for the English English press. I no speak English. <laughs> I said, Lewis, we spent like half an hour, three quarters of an hour talking to each other in Nike Town when you were doing that sponsors thing. Oh, you've got me. And he, and he actually yeah, started. Brilliant. Back, and, you know, you, brilliant. And, and you sort of shamed him into it. But he, you know, so he thought it was we, worth we, a try. We had, but, um, <laughs> a similar story... Me and David McDonald. David McDonald's the Daily Mirror's Manchester man. And this goes back many years to so the Euros in 2004. And Rangers, Glasgow Rangers, had just signed a Croatian striker called Dado Perso. Croatia had played, and they were, I think they were playing England in their next match. We watched him come through, and we saw a gaggle of our English colleagues try to get him, and he wouldn't talk to them, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So myself and Disco, as he's known, we squirrelled away. We went to the back of the mix zone. And we hit upon this brainwave. So given that he just signed for Glasgow Rangers, he came walking past and we said to him, Dedo, Dedo, have you got a wee minute for the Scottish press? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, yeah, Scotland. He said, oh, aye, 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 aye. And he came over. And <laughs> Despite your Welsh accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and we, we got five minutes out of him. We conducted the whole interview in Scottish accent. That is fantastic. Just to get a few words out of him, yeah. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. And whenever I see Disco, we still, it still comes up because he was just a master <laughs> 
Who are, your, who are the prickliest characters you've ever had to deal with, Sean? Patrick Vieira, I always found a very imposing presence mm, around imposing. Arsenal. That's in nice. the days when <laughs> you went down to the Arsenal training ground and you would be in the same area as the players and, you know, you'd get told off if you watch the meeting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I'd written something about Sol Campbell, about a performance or whatever when he was at Arsenal. And I got the message from the press officer that Patrick would like a word. Um, now... We know how formidable he is on on the pitch. Mm. He was on the pitch. Believe me, he's every bit as formidable. But he does it in a way that you just can't... There's no arguing with it. So he said, what do you think about what you wrote about Sol? Um, Well, it was my opinion. It wasn't very nice, was it? Yeah, but I was just trying to explain, I'm the captain of Arsenal. I'm here to protect our players. You won't do that again, will you? Do we understand each other? And I'm not, and uh, and it's absolute withering. Legs turned to jelly. Yeah. You could see quite, what he'd be like. How tall is he? He's fairly tall, but he's quite imposing. But does it with a sort look, of smile? And you could understand why he commanded respect yeah, everywhere he went. And it's sort of like, wow. I'm going to be careful next time. And it, but it was a brilliant, it was sort of brilliant mm. way of doing it. He didn't yeah. shout. He didn't rant. Yeah. He didn't rave. That puts you on edge even more, doesn't it? Yeah, you you sort of think, "Mm, right, better behave. (laughs) 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 It was, it was definitely (laughs) like that. I had a really interesting one with Vieira that um, was different, a different side of him. Is I had to go and do another sponsors interview. It was over in Milan. He was, and it was he was doing like about ten interviews as they do at these sponsors do. I think I was the tenth, and he was so bored, and it was really that pulling teeth, and he was in a bad mood, and he was he was letting me show it. And then towards the end, I sort of threw one in about Roy Keane who was obviously his great rival. We all know about him going eyeball to eyeball um, and, and, you know, trying to kill each other in the tunnel and on the pitch. And as soon as I spoke about Roy Keane to him, his eyes lit up mm. and he gave me 20 minutes of gold dust mm. copy. He just wanted to speak Brilliant. about this bloke with whom he's always, <laughs> you know, he's always mentioned as his great arch rival and they hated each other. And as soon as I asked him that question, he obviously hadn't been asked that question that day and he just gave me, like, great, great words. And I thought that was a really interesting thing. Positive about, words, Dave. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah actually, sometimes, though, it's not the, it's not the person person you're interviewing and this is more and more prevalent it's the situation in which mm. you interview them i can relate to what andy says about the situation mm. because it, i always remember uh, there was an an england were promoting england is always quite difficult uh, when they're doing some of the players are contracted that they have to promote something with england over say a season maybe they do one or two i think the ferdinand one was about the kit now bearing in mind i'd written rio ferdinand's book and he'd been a columnist on The Sun, so I knew him very, mm. very well. And he was injured. So I walk in to this place up in Manchester. His agent's there. The representative of the kit manufacturers are there. The FA press person is there. His agent is there. And I walk in, and they said, yeah, Rio's happy to talk, but he doesn't want to talk about his injury. <laughs> He's injured, but he doesn't want to talk about his injury. And he doesn't want to talk about Manchester United. Um, <laughs> and he was an injured and you, United player and you can't <laughs> and you can't talk to him about England because he's not playing for them at the moment oh my so I looked gosh, at Rio I said right. is this for real he went sort of shrugged his shoulders yeah, as right, it, you know yeah, it was in yeah, yeah. same in control and I looked at them all I said is there anything he could possibly talk about they went the kit oh, I went with the best well gosh, in the world yeah. I could not spend yeah. 20 minutes talking about how sweat absorbent the kit is with Rio <laughs> Ferdinand so I looked at him I said should we just talk another time and give this one a miss? He went, yeah. Very really? Yeah, that was That's very interesting. interesting. Very that was interesting. it. I could top that, though, with Jamie Vardy. I was at Wembley one time for an England press conference, I think it was, 
there was a separate interview and we were supposed to be negotiating with Jamie Vardy. And then I had about 10 minutes notice. They said, if you go to this room now, you can talk to Jamie Vardy for 38 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah. 38 seconds yeah, of Vardy? Right, quick, oh, quick Google on Jamie Vardy. And I saw a story, I didn't know if it was true or not, or whatever, about one of his teammates at one of his former clubs I'd bought him for Christmas a lump of cheese. So, of course, that really appeals to me, and as it would anybody. You think, what? what is that all about? But I had to submit questions beforehand. They vetted them, and they wouldn't let me ask Jamie Vardy about somebody buying him a piece of cheese for Christmas. <laughs> well, I still don't know why it, is, no. why it was so controversial. Good to talk to you guys. That's been Swedes 2, Turnips 1. My thanks to Sean, Dave and Andrew. I look forward to having you back to hear more anecdotes in the very near future. Reminder to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and hit that subscribe button. And if you like the show, please rate and review. It does help others find the pod. That's all we have time for for now. From me, Rashman Chowdhury, it's bye-bye. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,